Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome, welcome to Thursday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Isn't it a dreary old day? It really is. And the rain. Do you know they talk about rain, that it soak you or saturate you? It's not that heavy uh, as it was coming in that, but by God, you'd get a wetting from it, that's for sure. Oh, Lord Almighty, haven't July and August just been a pain in the you-know-what? But I bring you news of great joy. And it's not even that time of the year yet. Yes, the weekend is to be lovely, let me tell you. Saturday and Sunday, warm and sunshine and dry. What's happened? The Indian summer, briefly it may be, in early September, but the weekend is to be good. So lift your spirits, smile and look forward to the weekend and enjoy late lunch for the next couple of hours here with us on LMFM Radio. You'll need the contact numbers. Uh, have that competition for the Pilo Hotel, 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text us to the show if there's anything on your mind. Well, today we're starting with Sport Ireland's latest study on children's participation in sport and physical activity. And it reveals a number of findings. But the one that jumps off the page to me uh, is that girls young teenage girls there's a big drop off when they go to secondary school uh, from 94% participation to 65 now that is huge it really is but there's other stats there as well and to chat to me about it I'm delighted to welcome to the show the Director of Research and Innovation with Sport Ireland Benny Cullen afternoon Benny Good afternoon, Jerry. Thanks a lot for having us on the show. Not at all. Delighted to have you with us. That, to me, is the standout one, and uh, one, I, I take it, that of greatest concern to yourselves, too. Indeed, it is, Jerry. And just for your listeners, we uh, yesterday we launched two of the most comprehensive studies into sport and physical activity in Ireland. We are both looking at the children, which you've mentioned, and also another study looking at the adults, which I hope we'll get a chance to have a quick chat on, because a lot happening yeah. in the volunteering space there. That's critical to resolving some of these issues that you've highlighted. Indeed, this piece, you know, about um, teenage dropout and girls, we've known about it for quite a while. We've been researching it for a long, long time now. Um, It's always disappointing to see that it's still there. Um, The statistics you called out there in relation to school sports, this is extracurricular sport that girls are taking part on uh, in school outside of PE. And indeed, one in three girls dropping out from primary school as they transition into post-primary school. What's interesting about this, Jerry, is in primary school, girls are more likely to play sports than boys. You know, that might come mm. as a surprise to people. We seem to do a really great job in getting them involved in sports, in community sport and school sport in primary school. But if they dip into the teenage years and they start to get a little bit older, um, 
other life commitments seem to start to get in the way. The girls, same research, we found that girls are much more likely to spend two hours or more doing their homework. So um, maybe they're more diligent than their their their, their male counterparts. Mm-hmm. But the, um, they're certainly more dedicated to their schoolwork. We see that in the data. Um, and other elements start to come into the mix there. The um, you know maybe they start to lose interest in some of the activities that they've been taking in uh, part in when they were in primary school. Um, and it's about creating the opportunities then for them in secondary school to maybe start taking part in, in other sports or other activities um, if those, those activities they were doing before are, are no longer interesting. So it's a, it's a challenging space and one we've been putting a lot of effort in. Um, we do have a new website up and running. It's called hermoves.ie um, and it's specifically targeted at trying to help resolve this issue. There's heaps of resources in there um, for teenage girls themselves to help them understand the benefits of being active and ways in which they can get active but also for coaches and volunteers and parents and teachers who are working with teenage girls or indeed who are their parents in in kind of giving them some advice on how they can help keep them active. Thanks for mentioning that, hermoves.ie. The information is there. Come back to the, you know, the reasons. You mentioned there, you know, homework, uh, sport takes up a lot of time, losing interest, and they're changing, you know, they're... Physically, they're changing as well. They're growing up, and of course, interest in boys and uh, vice versa is, is part and parcel of it. How do you how do you tackle this? Um, well, look at her moves is a first step, and also understanding the problem is a first step. There's no doubt about that. So, research like this that allows us to kind of get in, you know, in behind the problem and try and figure out what's going on. And um, we did a good bit of research last year as well, kind of focus groups with girls to um, to try and understand what was going on, and some of the things that came out of that were listening, you know, the, um, give teenage girls a voice, and teenage boys as well, you know, is equally important, but listening to what their needs are, what's going on in their lives, what is it that they're expecting out of their lives as they transition through the teenage years and on into adulthood. Support, family and friends, being around them, social connection seems to be really important to these girls as they're, you know, moving through their teenage years. And so the role of parents, family, friends is critically important to keeping peers or their children interested and engaged in sport. That diversity piece came out as well, you know, the, and we strongly believe there's a sport there for everybody, you know, the, and it might be some of the more traditional sports, be it some Gaelic football or some soccer, um, but swimming and running and cycling are growing in popularity, as well as outdoor sports, you know, getting out and doing a hike or going on a bit of an adventure. All of those activities need to be, you know, opened out. We see in the PE curriculum and in school sports still a big dominance of the traditional games. And that seems to be coming at the cost of things like gymnastics, dance, outdoor activities and even aquatics, swimming. Um, And so really in the school setting, ensuring that girls and boys are getting that diversity of, of sporting opportunity and physical activity to set them up for life then to be active for yeah. life. We've um, we got to keep them at it and, and there's nothing surer than that. On, on the umbrella uh, analysis, f- just 15% of children are meeting the recommended physical activity guidelines of one hour of moderate to vigorous activity per day. That's low. It is low. Now, it's better than it was in 2018 when we measured this pre-pandemic. So in 2018, it was 13%. We see a 2% increase, it's 15% now, it's nowhere near where we'd like it to be. And I guess it goes to show, you know, some of the effort that has to be put in across society. And we've got to remember, physical activity is more than just sport. You know, it's walking and cycling to school, it's playing in playgrounds and playing with your friends. And, you know, this is a week where kids are going back to school. Really important for parents to be aware of that and have that 
number in their mind. It's 60 minutes of physical activity. It can be done through sport most definitely, but 60 minutes of physical activity every day is the WHO and the HSE's guidelines for children's activity. And we've got to remember, we're all very familiar with the physical and mental health benefits we get from being physically active. Our research and research in the UK as well has shown that physically active kids do better in school. So they do better academically. They get better exam results. So even if they're going into junior third years or leaving third years, um, there's a really important piece there of ensuring that they keep their activity levels up. It's about having a, a good routine, learning the discipline of routine and keeping active rather than, you know, prioritizing one aspect of life, say academics, over the sporting piece. It's about that balance and ensuring both get in there. And then the last piece is they also get better employment prospects. And so a good bit of work done on this in the UK. Um, they earn more money. So children who are active earn more money when they go out into the marketplace. Um, and employers perceive them, you know, in a, in a, in a better way. They understand that people who do sport, they, you know, they develop team building skills. They develop an awful lot of perseverance and commitment. Um, and a lot of dedication. That's really appreciated and identified by employers. So it's all benefits, you know. Mm. The, um, it's just a question of really, you know, shoulder to the wheel now to get those activity levels up. And, of course, uh, phones and social media and, uh, you know, sitting on your backside and being on there for hours ain't helping either. I think one thing, though, and I've spoken about this to a few people on the show before, schools, you know, and, and the amount of homework and all that, that, that is a factor. And that's come out in the findings here. You know, it takes time to get that done and there's a lot of pressure in that area. So perhaps that's something that can be looked at going forward. To. And I'm not saying schools are, are I'm sure, are well aware of this as well come back to the adults you wanted to mention the adult aspect of this because i've really more or less been looking from the children's perspective thanks jerry yeah so we also launched our our, our sports monitor uh, yesterday and this really looks at the population age 16 plus which is the large majority of the population when we think about it and and so there what we see is you know a huge amount of disruption during the covid period and that really jumps out in the data the um, a lot of adults getting into cycling and, and running, the, uh, maybe you know, not being able to access swimming pools, gym facilities, or indeed some of the traditional sports settings they would have gone to. Um, we've seen a bounce back now in 2022. So some of the activity levels are coming back up. We're 3% higher in sports participation than we were in 2021. Um, but an area that really concerns us, Liam, is around club membership and volunteering. Liam, they really took a big hit in 2021. They're both climbing back up, so we're doing better in 22 than we were in 21. But we don't see the same level of recovery. So I guess there's a call out there to people who maybe volunteered in the past and are thinking about going back, or maybe people who've never volunteered before and they're looking at their kids getting involved in a club and considering volunteering. And without the volunteers there, you know, they are the lifeblood of a lot of community sport out in our community. And so really important that we, uh, that, yeah, that we put some effort in there to help recruit uh, and replace maybe vol- volunteers that, that, that moved on during the pandemic. And, on that front, we are developing a volunteer strategy that will be launched later this year. And we've, we've, you know, a good bit of investment going into that space, volunteer supports, which can subsidize access to things like, um, you know, it might be safeguarding courses or coaching courses or maybe some governance courses to help people get onto committees. Um, so those subsidies are available there through sporting organizations um, and especially for communities of socioeconomic disadvantage, where we know sometimes cost can be a barrier to getting those qualifications that you might need in order to volunteer in sports. 
Okay, and uh, you know, we we say it again, volunteers are fantastic people and the lifeblood of sport as well and it couldn't just proceed without the thousands and thousands of volunteers across the country who give of their time so willingly. So if you're out there listening to us today, there is a call out for more. There's a, a bit of a, a lull after COVID, but uh, what a, a, a great uh, return you get from giving your time to something. It is fantastic. I want to come back to the, just to the children for a moment if I could. Um mm. The, it seems to be the transition from primary to secondary school is the key time. Um, going to school and getting to school, uh, walking, cycling. Now, I know it's not practical for a lot of people who, who live a distance from the school, but in the urban areas, it's something when you see cars, and I know it myself, driving a short distance and dropping children off, you really do pull your hair out, don't you? You can sometimes, yeah, indeed, indeed. The, um, and what we see in the data... Um, in post-primary schools, um, we have a slight decline, actually, in active travel, which we were surprised to see. Primary schools is more or less the same. It's increased a bit. Post-primary, a decline largely in walking, children walking to school. The, um, and we see that that decline comes from an increase in car use. You know, the, um, and We're trying to understand what that is. Maybe it's a little bit more remote working from the parents, and they're like, oh, sure, look, I'll give you a lift down to school in the car. Um, but that's not doing children any good in the long term. You know, giving them the opportunities to get out there the, um, a bit of independence to either walk or cycle to school uh, in the mornings and get home by themselves. The, um, does them the world of good in terms of physical activity um, and also allows them to kind of, yeah, you know, express their independence as well in terms of how they get around. And um, what we do see, though, in the post-primary setting, so that's decline in walking. Cycling is on the rise, though. The, um, we've nearly twice as many post-primary students cycling in 2022 as we did in 2018. And I know the census released some of their commuting data recently enough and they found more or less the same trend. Um, walking to school, sure, I did nothing else going back in the day, but uh, that's a bit of history at this stage in terms of a lesson. I used to walk, I'm just thinking about it, walk to school in the morning, we'd come home at lunchtime for our lunch, walk back after lunch, walk home after school as well when we were finished yeah. up, and then we'd have do our bit of homework and be out kicking ball or whatever, and, you know, you'd burn off the calories as well. You can start them walking really from any age. Somebody wants to know there, is it advisable to bring small children walking to school? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's one of our key concerns is um, even in, in the preschool setting, you know, we're ensuring that children get 60 minutes of physical activity a day and walking is a really great way to hit that mark, you know. the um, Like if it's a, a 10, 15, 20 minute walk to school there and back, that's 40 minutes in the bag, you know. the um, And so it really mm. helps to establish that kind of, the um, yeah, full kind of uh, 60 minutes every day. And some of the other things as well that are worth flagging, we often focus on the gender difference in sports, physical activity, but our reports do find other, you know, um, areas of difference across society which are worth flagging. Those with a disability less likely to take part in sport and be physically active than those without. Um, A key area of concern for our own government department and our organisation, a lot of investments and mechanisms in there to support uh, individuals with a disability, be they children or adults. We have a full network of sports inclusion disability officers Across Ireland, one in every county, the, um, they can be accessed through local sports partnerships. So if there is anybody listening who has a disability or has a child with a disability and would like to be more active or do more sport, um, the local sports partnerships are a great point of connection in order to find those opportunities. And there's staff there who are dedicated to helping people find you know, experiences that they can enjoy and that they can access um, uh, as close to their home as possible. Um, some of the other trends we see as well are in the, the socioeconomic status uh, area. You know, those from less affluent families, again, are less likely to be active. Their children are also less likely to be active. Um, and so we have investments in that space as well to subsidise activity 
Um, we have a great initiative through Dormant Accounts, which is the community sports hubs, um, which are hubs of activity that are offered to communities of disadvantage um, at very much reduced rates, trying to reduce some of those barriers that they might be experiencing. Lots of information there. Check out the report. And I want to go back to where we uh, started. Hermoves.ie for uh, girls. There's a fantastic resource there. Uh, check it out. Uh, keep doing what you're doing, highlighting this, pushing on it because exercise, physical activity, sport, you name it, as you say, is the foundation for so much in life and a healthy life too. Uh, that's the most important part of it. Benny, thank you for joining me on the show today. Thanks a lot, Jerry. Thanks for having us on. Take care of yourself. That's Benny Cullen there, Director of Research and Innovation at Sport Ireland. Late lunch, LMFM Radio. Stay with us. Louise, the news today, the fatalities on our roads. Did you see the figures that have just been released? 125 people have died on Irish roads so far this year. Up 25, Louise, from last year at this time. That's shocking, isn't it? That's a huge amount. It really is shocking and very, very concerning. Those figures just come out uh, a little bit earlier on today. Is there a breakdown on the figures on like (sighs) what happened or why it was or why they figured, you know, what they attributed or anything, I wonder? I haven't seen that, but just the (sighs) the mere figures themselves. Look at what's happened recently. Yeah, it's absolutely horrific in the last few days. It is, it is, it is. And all we can say again is, please, please take care, slow down. Think of everybody else in the roads. Please slow down. Slow down. Speed. Slow down. If you just do that, it'd be a big, big help. I'm sure it would be. But do take care, we say to everybody on the roads. Coming up after two on the show, don't miss her. Miriam Mulcahy, such tragedy in our life. And how does she cope with it? She goes swimming. Let me read you part of a a review to the book we're going to talk about next. This is a powerful read. Miriam Mulcahy has written a book that will resonate with anyone who has lost a loved one and has been completely levelled by the overwhelming feeling of grief and regret that follows. I'm talking about a book called This Is My Sea that has just gone to number one in its category in the Irish bestsellers. And I can see Miriam Mulcahy smiling from ear to ear. Good afternoon. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. Congratulations on the top spot in the charts. Well, I would now the top spot in my chart. Yes, not, I'm. I think I'm number twenty overall. I've been told. Yes, but uh, but it is it is unreal to go in because I'm a debut author. This is my first book. Yep. And to chart at number one in my category yes. is just incredible. Yeah, it is, and well done to you because that's what I said. It's in your category and you're number one, and you will be moving up the general category. I can tell you now for sure. My I God, so. and I, I have the book. I, I received the book just earlier today. It arrived into me, and I've had time to, uh, as such, go through parts of it as well. But I'm well familiar with the book, and I've seen you uh, in the Times the weekend talking about it, etc. Look. Um, to lose as you lost. Your Annis Horribilis was 2013. Just tell our listeners what happened that year. Well, I would say actually my Annis Horribilis started in 2008. I lost my dad 2008, my mom 2012, and then 2015, uh, my sister died. So it went on for seven years. And I would also say uh, 2013 was particularly hard because I split up uh, with my ex that year. Mm. And I ended up becoming a single mom to four kids. So that was quite the hard year, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you, you talk about that one in particular. But as you said, it began with your dad's passing, then your mm. mom and your sister. When your dad passed, my God, I think the description is the rug was pulled from under everyone. 
Uh, well, yeah, because we were that unusual kind of family. We were a very happy family. We were very close-knit. We were very tight. I absolutely adored my father and he adored me. It was only pure love between us. And when he died, and I, I kind of prefer the use of the word died to past as well, um, because I think, you know, in Ireland, we have a great capacity to cloak death and grief in euphemisms and metaphor. And I think we should be using, you know, very clear and hard words around what is a very hard thing, death. And yeah, it, it, it just felt like our worlds were changed forever when dad died. Mm. And you had to cope with that. And then, as you say, what followed was your mum's passing and then uh, mm. your lovely sister, too, who uh, had breast cancer and, and passed away and died, shall I say, as you say yourself. Yeah. Um, the, the book is called This Is My Sea and there's a reason for that. You turn to the sea uh, to help you with this awful tragedy, should I say, that struck you. Yeah, well, we we had, had even though we live in Kildare, we spent a huge amount of our childhood. Every summer we used to go to Wexford for two months and then we always went over to Kerry as well every summer to friends and my family and the sea was very much part of our lives. My parents were amazing swimmers and we all just took it up as naturally as 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 anything. It it was just second nature to us and we were um we all loved the sea, we all swam a lot. And then after um dad died, but particularly after my mother died, because my mother was my best friend and the loss to her the loss of her to me was catastrophic. And I really turned to the sea as a way to cope uh with the loss and to connect with her. Because when I swam in the places she loved swimming, which are these places around Cahardaniel and Kerry, and when I got into the water, I nearly felt like she was swimming with me, like her spirit or her soul or something had come back to me and was there in the water with me. And it, I found it very calming and grounding. Mm. And and you talk about swimming. Like, uh, it's not just, you know, going out a little bit and swimming parallel to the coast. That You guys no. swim out to sea, to the depths. We do, but that was that was always the thing. And again, we learned that from our parents. My dad was an amazing swimmer and he loved going out far because he would just dive down. Like, n- even though we're all strong swimmers, we're not into this, oh God, going to sea and swimming for two kilometres or three kilometres. We go into the sea just to enjoy ourselves and to connect with the water and to get something from it. And I love treading water. I swim out really far. And then I might stay treading water for 15 minutes, just enjoying what's around me. So there's never a sense of having to kind of compete or Mm. that's not what it's about. It's about getting into the water and feeling at one with it. And that's what it always was for us. And it's a fine uh, distinction between, you know, in that depth and, you know, treading water and swimming there. And, you know, what? There's nothing beneath you. You know what I'm saying? You're so vulnerable mm. there in, in at that point. Well, absolutely. And I suppose that's one of the things that attracts us to swimming like that is that you, you know how dangerous it is. And that's us kind of pushing ourselves and testing ourselves. But there was a legacy for my parents, I suppose, was that we always knew we would make it back. Uh, we were always taught to stay calm in the water, never to panic. That applied to being in boats. We would have grown up in sailing boats, canoes, I paddleboard now. And, you know, that was very much came from our father. You always stay calm. You don't panic. Uh, you stay relaxed. And the sea will always mind you and hold you if you can trust it. Mm. And that's what we we were brought up to trust the sea while having a very healthy respect for it. The sea is a dangerous place. Yes. And we're not fools. You know, there are days when you don't go in and you stand back and you go, 
not for me today. You're a bit wild. You're a bit turbulent. Or maybe you're tired. And maybe you don't have the energy for that particularly wild sea on that day. So you need to have a healthy respect for what is a very dangerous environment. I saw you writing as well, and it's something that crossed my mind when actually uh, I was on water recently. Uh, The fact that, you know, wherever we are, you enter the sea to go swimming. When you think Mm. about it, that water connects with every continent and every person on the planet. Yeah, and I think we lose sight of that. And, you know, Ireland is famous for being an island nation that turned its back on the sea. You know, we're not taking advantage mm. of this beautiful resource we have. We don't eat as much fish as we should be eating. And, um, yeah, I, I love that. And it's it's particularly, I think, when you're in the Atlantic, when when you're swimming in the Atlantic, you, you're so aware that America is 5,000 miles away, that South America is over there, that the North Pole is up there. And, you know, that, that it, it kind of reinforces how tiny and insignificant we are in the overall scheme of things, but yet how connected we are to everybody else on the planet. Mm. And for you, that word connection with your Mm. late parents and your sisters, well, you really feel them. Do you really feel that when you're there, they're with you? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Um, As I say, we were were so close and tight as a family. Um, It was nearly like death couldn't separate us, that death couldn't take that away from us. And I... I, I, f- I feel very much uh, the love that my parents had for me and the love I had for them uh, is still very, very much there. But it's it's up to me to find it. And I talk about that in the book. I talk about words. You know, everybody coming up to you at funerals and going, there are no words. And this was said to us so often, particularly after dad, because he died so young. And I'm a writer. And I said, what are you talking about? There's half a million words in most dictionaries. There's millions of words when you put all the different combinations together. The words are there, and I had to find them. And that's what a huge part of this book is about. I'm trying to find the words to express grief, to talk about grief, to say, this is what death feels like, this is what grief feels like, to tell people that there is no normal way to grieve. Everyone's grief is different. Everyone's grief is their own. And there's no such thing as a pattern to grief. It's wildly unpredictable. And you must find your own way through it. It is a difficult time, though, you know, as you mentioned there, with so many uh, coming to you sympathising and that, and it becomes, I'm sure, a blur after a while with all the Mm. people. Your dad was a very popular and well-known man. And it is a difficult thing in Ireland. How do you sympathise with somebody? Um, Well, that's that's a really, really good question, Jerry. And I think everyone is so concerned about talking to the person who has, who's breathed, who's lost someone. And what we actually need to do is let them speak, let them talk. We're not the ones who need to talk. You need to say to that person, look, you're at the funeral, say, I'll call you next week. I'll call you in two weeks time. I'll come around, you know, drop a dinner, do something practical for them. Can you pick up their kids from school? Can you bring them around a hot dinner? And then, in the weeks and months that follow the death, connect with your friend. Say, look, can we meet for a cup of tea? Tell me what happened. People who have lost someone need to tell that story over and over and over again. What was the funeral like? What was the hospital like? What was it like when that person actually died? And we as their friends and we as their family, whether it's your mother who's lost your father or your sister maybe who's lost her husband, you need to sit with them and let them talk and give them that space. And that's actually where the words are. We need to give people that opportunity to talk about their loss. Mm. 
So true. Wonderful words, I have to say. You're a great writer. Do you know that? In, in, in terms of the way you, you've uh, told this story as well. Your words Thank are you. lovely and, and they really fl- flow beautifully. But another thing I wanted to mention to you, you, you say you never, you're never not thinking about the sea. It laps mm. at the outer edges of my consciousness, my thoughts, all the time. All the time. All the time. Mm. I, I suppose I'm just obsessed. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with the sea. I always was. Uh, I used to have posters when I was in college. Always, my friends would remember this. I had posters of, you know, these cinema films um, that were, were 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 just huge pictures of the sea and of dolphins. And um, I, I I suppose it's the place I feel most at home. And I I'm very very happy when I'm swimming, when I'm beside the sea. And uh, my house is full, is, is, is absolutely full of shells, driftwood, yes. stones, things I pick up mm. from beaches when I'm there. It's a constant reminder to me, even mm. though I live in Kildare, which is very sad. <laughs> you're landlocked. I was going to say that. Imagine you are such I'm a landlocked. lover and you're in a landlocked county. But listen, you're your mother's daughter because she was a great collector, wasn't she, of shells and objects from the beaches and as I well. Was, I, was, I was actually in Bray this morning and... Um, I was in her hometown. They went down to the beach, and I picked up a few stones, and um, you know, dipped dipped my hand in the water, and that's that's where she swam, and that's where she learned to swim, and you know, and again, even though you know she's a, she's a long time dead, every time I, I I still felt a connection to to her there today, and I suppose that's what I write about in the book. You know, the, the sea is my connection, but everybody has something in their lives, whether it's sport, whether it's music, whether it's you know, nature or, you know, whatever your thing is. And I, I think we need to go back to our childhoods and to our teenage years. And what was the thing that brought you joy? What was the thing that you absolutely adored? And we can all tap back into that and we can all find that again. And that might be the ladder that will help you out of this very dangerous place that you find yourself when you're grieving. And there are ladders out. There, 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 are, there are stairs, but you have to find them and you have to make them. Mm. And that's how you find your way through grief. Mm. Tap back into those passions that you loved when you were a kid or a teenager. You know, go to gigs again. Yeah. You know, yes. take up that sport, whatever it was that gave mm. you that joy, find it again. You also touch, in the brief time I've had the book, on the marriage ban, uh, and you have plenty to say on that, and women having to be churched. What an awful time that was after they had but children. It was. Yeah, it was. And, and you know, I, I think I think in this book as well, there, there is, there's a real feminist subtext, you know, that I'm trying to say to women, you have no idea how strong you are. You know, I lost my mother. I stood up for my partner. I ended up a single mom to four kids. My youngest was only one years old. And I still had to get up every day, get those kids out of school, cook for them and work. You know, I had to work through all those years. And we just don't know how strong we are. And I do write about the marriage bar. I, it's, it's something that made my mother very angry. And I think a lot of women of her generation, our mothers, um, were, you know, denied access to work, were denied their their careers. I remember my mom saying to me once, every bloody Egypt that was in the bank with me, my mom used to work in the Bank of Ireland. I said, every man who was on my floor with me is now a bank manager. And that killed her because she would have been a brilliant bank manager. Mm. And she was so clever, so smart. And she was basically told, you're married now, you can't work. It was so unjust yes. and so wrong. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Uh, so in a way, I'm just trying to maybe make reparations for that and say to those women, you know, it wasn't right. It should never have happened. And they were absolutely brilliant. They were. And, and so, oh, there was so much talent, you know, went mm, untapped. Absolutely. Yeah. And maybe perhaps that's why women, when eventually they were able to get rid of that nonsense and get back into the workplace was so determined, you know, to make their mark. And they still are to this very day. Listen, I have to leave it there for today. Thank you. This book is highly recommended, may I say. I just want to read one more thing before you go, just so you'll hear this. It's an emotional and commanding book packed with poignant stories of family and love, of pain and fear, of grief and suffering. It's also beautifully written, heartfelt expression of courage and hope. An extraordinary book uplifting about life and living it to the fullest. I think that's a, an apt description for This Is yeah, My Sea. It's a wonderful review. Ah, yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Listen, it's great to catch up with you today. I wish you well and congratulations. Thank you, Thank you so much. Not at all. Bye Take now. care. Bye-bye. That's Bye. Miriam Mulcahy there. This Is My Sea. It is a terrific book. It really, really is. Late Lunch, LMFM Radio. Sharon Gray is having problems with our motor insurance. Let's see, can we help her? Afternoon, Sharon. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I am good. Okay, come on. We're all ears. Tell our listeners, what's the story? Um, no, so I just ran up. I ran up yesterday just, just off the off chance just to check what my premium would be around this year. And um, I was a bit... It, a bit pre I, I just wanted to get an idea of how much it'd be because every year it seems to go up more and more even though I've no conviction I've no um, I've no penalty points mm. I have um, you know my cards completely MCP'd everything there's nothing that's changed apart from I get another year's experience but the price seems to be going up along with it so um, I rang them yesterday, uh, the company that I'm with, and the guy I was speaking to started telling me about how the underwriters um, come up with their figure. And at one stage he said, oh, it goes by um, your car and how many people have crashed that type of car. Really? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? I said, so you're basing my driving experience on somebody else's driving experience. Yeah, apparently this is this is a thing. I've never heard of it before. Um, and, yeah, so this is a thing. Um, it goes by, apparently, a part of it that the underwriters look at is your type of car, how many people have crashed that type of car, and then that's 
that's put in with your um, your premium also. So I'd, I'd never heard of it, so I wasn't happy. <laughs> no, I've never heard of it. Are you driving a Ferrari? Oh, I wish. <laughs> what are you driving? I wish. Um, a BMW. <laughs> okay, well, a BMW. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I, Every second car on the road these days is a BMW. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, today is a, like, yeah. it's a common car. I don't mean that in an insulting way, no, but you know no, what I mean? It's very, no, yeah, it's all over the place. So you have a BMW. Would you mind me asking the year? What year are you? It's uh, 2010. Okay. I have it the last seven years. It's NTT'd. Everything is on it. Yeah. It's, it's perfect. Like, you know, there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Okay. Um, because usually they'll go down to how long you've had the car. And do you know, they just seem to make up an excuse for every what way you go now. Even if, God forbid, you did have a crash. Like, they'll drag it out as long as they can and they will search high and low for an excuse not to pay out. But I think, like, it's, it's very unfair to include somebody else's driving yes um, when it comes down to you and your experience and your track record exactly. T- tell me this um what did they quote you um they didn't quote me anything so they didn't quote are you anything. telling me that they, they're not offering you insurance this year no 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 you see my one my one was a renewal and yes. i just said to him i said oh will you just try it there and see what it'll be and he said oh there's no point there's no point <laughs> So, so just. I wasn't to, the happiest person getting yeah. off the phone. <laughs> but just to clarify this, are they going mm. to quote you when the renewal comes round? Oh, they will, but it'll probably be more. This is right. the thing. It'll probably be more expensive, and this is this is my argument. If you're going to class my driving experience, I've 15 years no claims bonus. I've 15 years full driver's license, no convictions, no pound fines, yeah. no nothing, and. Okay. I'm still getting crucified because other people can't drive their cars or you just have to look at the statistics this morning there. I sent you the picture of it there not so long ago and mm. the number of road deaths this year. Like yeah, yeah, we were talking crazy. about it. Yeah, it's, it's so crazy. It's only going one it's, way, yeah, but... Yeah. Um, look, at, sure I'll, t- I'll tell you what you do. Will you, will you leave it with us and we'll get on to our insurance expert, Kivo Callan, and see what she has yeah. to say, Okay. Yeah, of course. Brilliant. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks for telling me the story on the show today. Thanks, Sharon. There you go. So, Sharon telling us there that, you know, uh, the type of car, the type of car and, you know, history of that car uh, when it comes to, you know, crashes or whatever or is now taken into consideration for her, even though she has 15 years, no claims, it's full NCT'd. She's never had a crash. She has no offences against her. She has no penalty points. God almighty, that doesn't sound right altogether. We'll have to give Kiva a shout and see what the story is and talk about this. We'll come back to this on late lunch. It'll probably be next week at this stage, but we will come back. to Anybody else experienced the same when you went to insure your car, that the model of the car was an issue at that? 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Let us know on your late lunch. And we'll try to keep you on moving as five are going to give us a verse or two about now I woke up today with this feeling better things are coming my way He's one of Ireland's foremost fishery scientists. He's renowned across the world and he's back with us on late lunch today. Lovely to talk to him. Dr Ken Whelan, hello again. 
Hi, Jerry. Really great to talk to you again. And you're on for a very particular reason. You want to create uh, as many as possible saltwater detectives. Explain, please. Yeah, well, this is a campaign that we've had for a while now. We started off producing some fantastic freshwater detectives in County Louth. And they asked, could we extend ourselves then and look at estuaries and look at the sea? So the idea is really to train people as citizen scientists, to get people interested in their local water environment, whether it's freshwater, whether it's the estuary or whether it's the marine. And in the programme we'll be running in County Louth in a few weeks' time, we're going to actually look at some of the fantastic estuaries that you have in County Louth and also look along the seashore as well and open lots and lots, I hope, of interesting doors for people along the coast. So, Ken, who is this for? This is primarily aimed for communities that live at or near the waterways. So, really, that will include most people, I think, in County Louth. Um, What we're trying to do is to get people to see the aquatic environment with different eyes, to see uh, the environment with the eyes of somebody who specialises in looking after these waterways and telling them what they can do to try and protect and indeed improve their waterways. Because certainly in County Louth, in terms of rivers and estuaries, for such a small county, you have just such an amount of really important conservation units and conservation sites We really want people to be made aware of this. And you will train people in various aspects of, you know, understanding this more, appreciating it, keeping an eye on things. Yeah, exactly. And making it fun as well, because, my goodness, we have some line-up this year now in terms of tutors. We ran it last year and it was very successful, but uh, this year we have some additional goodies to really promise people. Uh, For example, we have uh, Dr. Margaret McCall, who is an expert in uh, using these citizen science kits to be able to do some water chemistry in a very simple way and to be able to look at your estuary and your seashore and see if it's clean. We have uh, Jackie Hunt, who's one of the best uh, bird ecologists in the country. She's literally going to open our eyes in terms of the amazing variety of migrants that you get into the estuaries in um, in County Louth during the winter. And finally, we've William McElhenney. And William won't be just teaching people about seaweed. He'll be explaining to them how they can eat the seaweed and how it can make a really extra ingredient in your diet. So I think it'll be fun as well as educational. And when you talk about, as you say, the coastline along here, the amount of migratory birds that come in here, just one aspect of it I'm picking out here, Ken, it's phenomenal. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, it's one of the most important sites in the world. You have something, I mean, the numbers tend to vary. I'm no bird expert, but talking to my friends, some of them are quoting 30,000, some are quoting 50,000. But they're coming from places like Greenland. They're coming from Canada. You know, they're coming all over the place. Uh, to benefit from the fantastic food resource that's in those estuaries. And really, if we want to keep those birds and we want to keep those unique sites, we really have to be careful in terms of making sure that the food resources in those bays are at the very best. And therefore, the water has to be kept clean and it has to be kept cool. And that's really what it's all about. Now, what do I need? I I need, I presume, decent wet gear, wellingtons, good boots, anything else besides if I'm going to take part in this? Well, certainly, I mean, the, the, the wet gear, as we all know this summer, the wet gear is an absolute, absolute essential. Um, boots and uh, warm clothing, because it can be cool enough sometimes if you, get a, if you get a sea breeze coming. As well as that, if people could bring maybe a pad, a notepad with them, and also, most importantly, if they have a, um, a uh, binoculars, 
a typical family binoculars will do fine. Bring a binoculars with them for for the bird spotting, and also perhaps then they they, they might bring along as well. Uh, they might think of bringing a little hand lens or any sort of little magnifying glass that they'd have at home. We'll have others other units of those available for people but we're expecting quite a number so it'll be good to have some extra ones extra supplies along with us now to register if you want to register folks i'll tell you or if you want further information saltwaterdetective at gmail.com that's the uh, address you need there saltwaterdetective at gmail.com and you're having introductory days i know at blackrock community center on the 16th of september and drumshallon forge on the 17th of september must you register to go on those two days, Ken? Well, we, we would prefer people to register in advance, but we're going to leave it open. So if people, I know people are very committed now with children going back to school and so on. People want to turn up on those two days and register, that would be fine. Or indeed, if they want to come along on some of the field days, which are the uh, the, the following, following weekends on the 22nd and 23rd, I think it is, of September, and the 8th and 9th of October, please do come along. And uh, we'd welcome you with open arms, even if you haven't formally registered. But it does help us if you register in advance. And those introductory days, what time do they kick off at, Ken, in Blackrock Community Centre and Drumshallon? So they'll be kicking off at 9.30. Okay. We'd like folks about 9.15. Lovely. So that's how you get, can register. Register in advance, folks. This is terrific. I know the freshwater one went uh, down a treat with everybody who went, and, and as Ken said, they wanted more. So it's the estuaries and the seafront this time. Saltwaterdetective at gmail.com to register. While you're with me, I won't lose the opportunity. Uh, back to our angling, uh, Ken, and salmon in particular, the Atlantic salmon and the runs. There's been huge concern this year for the future and this year hasn't been too good so far No, I mean all people have to do is remember back a few weeks, remember that thing we called sunshine that we had in abundance in June Yes. well we had marine heat wave and would you believe that even off the coast of Donegal that huge big sea off the coast of Donegal was 4 and 5 degrees warmer than normal I happened to be working in Waterford around that period and we were working late one Sunday evening. Uh, we were out in the in the water, such te- teaching people how to how to fly fish for various uh, saltwater fish. And I said to my friend Jason, I said, "Just put your hand on the water. Put your hand on the water." And it was half past eight at night on a Sunday evening. And literally, it was like being on holidays in the Mediterranean. And that that sea in Waterford went up two more degrees subsequently. So our fish, our salmon, our trout. They like cold, clean water. And what are we having? We're having more and more warm water. So I think as a consequence of that, they really are struggling. Salmon are struggling, I think, at the moment. There's no doubt about that. So, Ken, that's another aspect. And we talked about before when they go on that journey to the uh, sea where they feed far from Ireland and that the the trials and tribulations there on the way back, all they have to put up with in the rivers as well. Um, The combination doesn't all go well when you put everything together. Could we lose this wonderful species altogether? I think in Ireland we're, we're fortunate in that we still have a good core stock of fish left. But the one thing I would echo is a call that's come out from a group called Salmon Watch Ireland. So technically in September, anglers can legally, they can keep uh, one salmon a day if they have the tags to do that. But we're asking people, please consider what you're doing because the wild eggs inside every female salmon are unique. We can't actually replicate them in a hatchery. So give your local river a gift. Give it a gift of those wild eggs and please do put back the salmon in September. I think that's really important.
It is, and uh, by God, you're right. What is sunshine? Anyway, Ken, just to tell you, I'm looking at the forecast here on the telly, and I've said it already, the weekend is to be lovely. Lots of sunshine and warm weather, but uh, we've had a lot of rain in between, and even with that and the rivers rising, the runs haven't picked up. You know that often happens when you get a, a fresh or these constant floods, no? No, well, it, I think we're fortunate in that, uh, certainly in the Boyne, it would appear to be a situation where uh, some of the earlier fish have certainly lain dormant and there does seem to be some fish about. In some of the other river systems, it's really down. But in our in our neighbours' uh, rivers in Scotland, really, people are really worried. The really famous rivers like the Spey and the Dee, there's really uh, meetings every second week now wondering what they might do. Numbers are really, really plummeting. And I think in the context of what we've seen before in terms of climate change, there's no way of predicting this stuff. It could suddenly pick up again next year and then go back down the following year. The most important thing to realise is the fact that these fish are telling us that the fish and ourselves are under pressure and we need to be sensible about the way we use the resource. And most importantly, people have to actually start taking responsibility for their own river or stream locally and making sure that everything, not just the fish, but the insects in the stream, the plants along the river bank, the plants in the rivers, that they're well looked after. And people are enjoying learning about this stuff. And I think the more of that we can do, the better it'll be. Well said, Ken. Anyway, back to the meat of the matter. If you would like to become a saltwater detective, get in touch. Saltwaterdetective at gmail.com. Those dates coming up in September. Do register. Ken, always lovely to chat with you. Thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you, Jerry, very much indeed. It was a great pleasure. Thank you. That's uh, the wonderful Dr. Ken Whelan there, our foremost fishery scientist. And again, the Atlantic salmon that I'm familiar with and its life cycle. It's simply wonderful. If we lose that creature, what a loss to humanity that will be and this planet of ours. And another another example of, as Ken says there, where the whole ecosystem is under huge pressure. I hope that day never, ever comes. Late lunch, LMFM radio, still to come this afternoon. Number two in our top five countdown. And a football ground is to be named after a very special man. Somebody on there mentioning about the car insurance issue that Sharon Gray had, just to say that where you live, Jerry, is also taken into consideration when it comes to car insurance. Somebody else there on about the dodgy boxes. Um, I see there's been a, 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 to be a clampdown on them, Jerry. I saw that myself all right a little bit earlier on. I think it's initially on the people who supply them that they're saying they're going to clamp down on. Uh, so many people have the dodgy boxes. They do indeed. But anyway, yes, saw that story a bit earlier on. Thanks for letting me know about it. Now, let's reprise our Christmas number one for the big night at the Pilo Hotel Christmas time. Reet Petit is the song. Mr. Jackie Wilson was the name I was looking for. And thanks to everybody who got to ride loads today. Jenny O'Brien, your name has come round today to go in the hat tomorrow. That's Anne-Marie Neary, Ruby Grendon, Marguerite Murphy and today Jenny O'Brien. All names going into the hat tomorrow. One more qualifier tomorrow to win that table for six at the Four Star Pilo Hotel and Spa in Ashbourne for their Christmas party nights. Check them out on pilohotelashbourne.com forward slash 
Christmas parties and we'll have one more opportunity as I said on late lunch tomorrow we spoke to Sharon Gray earlier in the show about our problem getting car insurance a listener says advise that lady Jerry to go online and apply as a new customer with our present insurer and see what happens I know someone who got insurance a hundred euro cheaper uh, by doing so well she was ringing just to see what how the land lay for her renewal which is coming up in the future but look, I hear what you're saying thanks for getting in touch with us today why not sure it's, it's worth a go isn't it uh, hi Jerry. I've uh, just been listening to Ken Whelan on your show what an excellent piece that comes in from Peter Brady who's chairperson of Gormanston Community Association nice to hear from you uh, this afternoon Peter and thanks for those kind words really do uh, appreciate it now let's have a crack at this and late lunch. Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... The number two from this week in 1998. Yes, we're back in 1998 this week on Late Lunch with the Top 5 Countdown. And today's song is by British pop dance group Steps. It was released as their third single from their debut album. It also became the quintet's first single to reach the top five in the UK singles chart. It came in at number two and spent 11 weeks on the charts, but it just fell short of the number one spot. And Steps, their intention was to revive the ABBA sound. And this song today, well, it strikes a considerable resemblance uh, to ABBA's The Winner Takes It All. Have a listen. Our number two from this week in 1998 is Steps and One For Sorrow on your late lunch. Keep your ear on this one. ABBA in mind. This is the number two. The big hit for Steps. Do you hear ABBA in it? Let's have a listen. Steps. One for Sorrow. Number two in our top five countdown from this week in 1998. You can hear ABBA, can't you? You certainly can hear ABBA. They're so alike them. They really, really are. Anyway, one to go tomorrow on Late Lunch to complete the five for the week in question. Short break on Late Lunch and we're back talking about a wonderful young man who left this life all too early. Yes, Derek Brady. And uh, what's happening now, I'm sure he'd be delighted with. And we're going to hear all about that next. On the night of October 1996, Derek Brady lost his life tragically on the streets of Taipei. And in death, he gave life to six other people as his organs were donated. He is fondly remembered, never forgotten. And when you hear what's going to happen in the near future, uh, it's just fantastic. It really is. His brother, David Brady, joins me on the line. Afternoon, David. Gary, how are you doing? I'm really good. Thanks for taking our call today. Uh, I suppose that time in 1996, it just never leaves you, does it, all of you? No, it doesn't, Jerry. But I think as you get older and you look back at what Derek achieved and and what he done, you, it's more with pride that you're looking back. And you know, as, as in a couple of weeks when we get the gates open and Derek Brady Park, it'll be more of that as well. You know, for a young man that was only around for 22 years, mm. he done so much. 
He you did. know, and it's it's it, it gives you. I know you spoke about Father Raymond, and you spoke. I think one of the chaps was doing a podcast there about the the Asian Gaelic games, and you know, every now and again, you hear. You hear different stories and it just builds you a pride, you know. Mm. You mentioned Father Eamon Sheridan there. I went to school with Eamon all through <laughs> school and he's a very good friend of mine and he's back out working actually in Myanmar at the moment. He is, right, but right. He, he ties into, Der- into Derek's story, doesn't he? Uh, he does. I actually, I went out to play in the games in uh, 97 out in Manila. They were looking for a few bangers to go out, so myself <laughs> and Alan went out. So, uh, yeah, and, I, and it was the first time I met Father Raymond. And yeah. we're lucky enough that he stayed a family friend and he, he's in contact with mum and dad since. But yes. a lovely, lovely man. And it was it was a pleasure to meet him. Yeah, he was based in Taiwan, I think, at that stage. But let, let's talk about Derek. And you mentioned Asia and uh, the GAA and the Asian Gaelic Games. He was a driving force behind this, wasn't he? He was, yeah, himself and a few of his friends that went out on a, a fast course out to uh, out to Taipei. And I suppose like you do, it, it, it was a bit like with us in the soccer, that there was nothing, there was no soccer in the Balmain area at the time. He decided that he'd get a few lads and they'd get, get Gaelic going. I suppose more of a social to get together and with Derek and the personality that he is, is... Uh, just about an ordinary kickabout wasn't good enough that he had to create something in it. And that was the birthplace of the Asian Gaelic Games. He actually played he played soccer out there for the Lions as well, so <laughs> he liked to keep himself in all the clubs, you know, it wasn't but but it, it, the, the, it, the over there would be remembered from the, the Asian Gaelic Games and then Dad got uh, he got the Sam Maguire commissioned in, in Cavan Crystal as a trophy. So that mm. went out there as well. Lovely. So it's a replica of it. So it's a lovely, lovely piece of work as well. It is. Now, tell us about the, the grounds at Bohermine and the club. Tell us a little bit about that and what's going to happen there. Yeah, so like for, for a number of years, like we started off around, show me age now, Jerry, because I still think I'm a young lad. But, <laughs> and Derek, we were about 16, 17, and we just wanted to get play a bit of ball. So whoever had a brother was automatically in because you were doubling your attendance. You had you had two or four. So Derek was with me and there was the Fair Brothers, Traverses. So we got all those go, uh, guys together and we, we used to play a team in Cows called Hedford Grove. And that was the start of it. But we never had a home. We now, until, uh, where are we now? We're about 17, we purchased land right beside the school and the church in Bormain. And obviously COVID happened and there was delays. So we got it, uh, it was three fields, we got it all leveled at great expense and we have it now that we have six acres of grass, we have about 300 members. We signed up last night with the FAI for Football for All. Mm. So we have all this coming down and it will be, be great on the 24th of September, we'll be opening the gates and unveiling the plaque. Oh, terrific. And his name will be borne by those grounds forevermore in Bohermeen. Uh, the name of Derek Brady will be on them. Now, look, it, it, it takes money to do all this, of course, to get the grounds, develop them, and, uh, yeah. you know, bit by bit. I know the way it works with, with clubs like yours. So there's a few things happening. Um, Abby Larkin's uh, signed international jersey is being auctioned. Where, when, how do people get their names in the hat? Jerry, it's 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 incredible that yeah, you know when when the stories go out and, and what people do and it was Abby's jersey uh, that she wore 
our actual jersey against Canada, and it's signed by all the team. So the bidding can be found on Instagram or on Twitter with Gary Rogers. So if you look up Gary Rogers, uh, the goalkeeper, yep. so you'll find him on Twitter. Or And I don't know, is it the power of the Jerry Kelly show, but I just got a text a couple of minutes ago from 110 Electrical to say the bid was at, now at 700 quid. So I t- I thank you, Jerry. Maybe it was it was your your uh, I would say listenership or whatever. But it's it's I just got two minutes ago to great. go in at seven hundred quid. So oh, great! As you say, like it, it's huge money. Yeah. But when you see all the kids that are out playing and that, you know, mm. it is it's it, it it's well worth it. All we want is you know when you start on these journeys, all you want is summer for kids to play, yeah. and then when you get that. You want a better, you want a better facilities for kids to play, and, and and so on and so on. But we're having it's going to end up we're having an Oscars night on the seventh of October in the Knightsbrook. So th- that'll finish it all off. We have all the seven movies done. So there's various fundraisers. The girls are doing a twelve-hour uh, sponsored walk around the track around Derry Brady Park on Saturday. So if anyone wants to come and even do ten minutes or whatever, there's various activities going on, and you'll see them all on our Facebook page. But you know, it's a great parish for me for getting behind any sporting event. Mm. Ah, listen, uh, when the chips are down, people are fantastic. They really are. So Gary Rogers, the famous goalkeeper, his Instagram page, if you want to try and top that bid that's at 700 for the, at the moment for Abby Larkin's jersey that she wore against Canada and it's yep. signed by all the girls on the team uh, as well. It'll be something special to have in the future. The day itself, 24th of September, big day, the opening of the grounds, the name, as I mentioned, going on. It's going to be special to you, the family. Absolutely, yeah, and and it was a lovely piece that one one of our friends done for the unveiling, and it, it, I I seen a, I seen a copy of it that he sent me on, and and the words on it, like I won't read yeah. too much, but it really is, it'll be poignant, and and on that day or, or the day before, one of them, that's a, a, a manager of ours that passed away a number of years ago, he got us through going paddy ball. We're going to have the senior team is going to be playing for the paddy ball cup. Lovely. So that will take place over that weekend as well. So, Great. You know, we, we, we try to remember everyone. Yeah, you're fair juice. Yeah, David, thank you for joining me today. Wish you well yeah, with everything. Take you're care. Great. Thanks very much. Not at all. Bye-bye. Leave you with Niall Horn today. Eddie Caffrey on the way. See you for Friday's Late Lunch from 1.30. Have a lovely evening, everybody. Bye. <laughs>